Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Monday, August 29th. Happy birthday to my sister, Brandy. I'm sure she totally listens to her little brother's podcast, I hope, a little bit. So although she's a bit jealous of me right now because I am in Los Cabos, Mexico at the Hyatt Ziva All-Inclusive Resort here for the Future Leaders in Travel Retreat, which we will discuss in a bit. But first, I have to welcome my guest to today's show. Joining me on the show is fellow North Star Travel colleague and fellow travel podcaster, Emma Weissman. Emma, welcome to the show. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your podcasts. Hi, Eric, and happy birthday, Brandy. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm Emma Weissman, the managing editor of Travel Age West, one of the other brands within North Star Travel Group. And at Travel Age West, I am hosting two of our podcasts. The first is humans of travel and I sit down with people in the travel industry and they tell me their story. It's a little bit like armchair expert, that deep dive one-on-one interview. And then we also have Trade Secrets, which is co-branded with Travel Weekly. I host that with Jamie Beseda, who's a senior editor over at TW. And it's more of a professional development podcast where we answer travel advisor questions and invite experts from the travel industry on to weigh in on these topics. So I'm so excited to be here. I love this cross collaboration with the North Star brand and yeah, really excited to dig into it. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, teamwork makes a dream work, right? So that's what we're here for and really excited. Um, we're going to be talking about the future leaders in travel retreat and the world of millennials and Gen Z and their place in the travel industry later on in the show. But first, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening, let's dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with air travel and the complaints are way up. No surprise. Uh, but from data released by the Department of Transportation, consumers filed six, nearly 6,000 complaints about airlines in June. Um, the in, that's an increase of nearly 270% compared to June of 2019 and 40% compared to with last year. So the department received 28,550 complaints in the first six months of this year alone, which is more than the entire number of complaints received in all of 2019. So flight delays, cancellations, and refunds were some of the top issues with travelers, which of course is no surprise. That's been kind of the storyline all summer. If you have not been paying attention, then probably you just haven't traveled a bit and that's okay. Maybe you're saving up your pennies for the winter holiday season, which hopefully things will be better there. But other issues that were um, complaints were filed were uh, including lost bags and complaints related to disabilities. So it is a shame that airlines continue to damage wheelchairs at such a high rate. So hopefully some of these complaints will lead to a serious change in that. Um, Emma, personally, I think that the total number here and that's surpassed uh, the six months surpassed in of 2019 numbers, I think it's a, a kind of a ridiculous number and perhaps more a sign of the times and how Americans these days are compared to the pre-pandemic of uh, you know, people are much quicker to get um, upset over things and some people take it too far and how they treat other people and cross the line. But it has been a rough year for air travel, though. So what do you think, Emma? Warranted, justified, over the top? Well, you know, it's it's a true shame that travel has become so miserable in so many ways with all of the delays and the cancellations. I do think people react differently now than maybe they did before the pandemic, but it's just it's not the same air travel industry as it was before the pandemic. I do wonder if these complaints are, you know, they said there there are delays and cancellations, but air passengers are 
and they need to know their rights. They do have rights. They are entitled to receive compensation a lot of times if an airline delays your flight past a certain number of hours and it's not a weather delay. There's all these little caveats in it. But if your rights as a passenger were violated, you have every right to complain about it. And hopefully you do receive some compensation. I know there is one company to help with that. If you don't want to take the time to read through all the fine print and that's air help, they will help you get your money back. They will tell you if you are entitled to any sort of compensation. So yes, perhaps over the top, but it's a different industry and a lot is going on. It's it's tough out there right now. So I am hoping that if there are valid complaints that these passengers are receiving the compensation they deserve. Absolutely. Money is everything these days and with inflation and where it's at and stuff that you, you got to get your money back any way you can. So yes, Air Help is a great one. We also have the Pete Buttigieg, the uh, Secretary of Transportation. They're, uh, as I mentioned on last week's show, that they're launching that new website to help passengers. So that's supposed to launch in September 1st. So haven't heard any updates as far as if it's not going to happen then. So we'll see later on in the week if that happens or if it crashes. I was I said last week too, I thought it was an interesting time to do it right before Labor Day weekend, but it, it's there and available uh, this weekend. It should be. Uh, and if you have any issues, um, which we will touch on some a Labor Day holiday weekend um, airports in a second. But I did want to mention, you know, uh, these cancellation flights, domestic airlines, they canceled more than 53,000 flights in the first six months of 2022. So to get out in front of this issue, they're now canceling a lot of fall flights. So more could be on the horizon as some think that this will be part of the new normal. I know a lot of people hate that phrase, but it is what it is uh, for the, the coming years. So recent data from the Airline Data Incorporated said that major airlines have scheduled about 95,000 fewer flights for October of this year than they did in October. October of 2019 and 79,000 fewer flights for November for the same period in 2019. So that's what we're facing now. And that could be pushing over into 2023. I think obviously, you know, winter holiday uh, time is always big, but we'll see what happens into 2023. So that's sort of where we stand on things right now until they can increase their staff. And the hope is that they will by the winter time, but it's probably going to stay like this for a little bit. It could be a little slower fall, but uh, transitioning into that Labor Day talk, though, new insights from travel app Hopper say that the worst ten airports to fly uh, potentially these will should be the worst could be the worst uh, to fly through Labor-, Labor Day weekend are Midway in Chicago, uh, BWI in Baltimore, Love Field in Dallas, you got Newark in New Jersey, Harry Reid in Las Vegas, which it takes me a minute to still get with that. I keep wanting to say McCarran; they just changed their name earlier this year. So uh, JFK in New York City, Lambert Field in St. Louis, Reagan National in DC, Orlando. Florida and LaGuardia in New York City to round out the top 10. So it should be a big holiday weekend for travel. Any Labor Day air travel prediction? Well, first of all, I'm very sad to see Midway is number one on that list because Chicago is my hometown. So that is a huge bummer. I, I do travel through Midway a lot. But it's funny that you mentioned the worst airports because I wrote a story about the worst airports actually from AirHelp, the company I just mentioned. And the worst offenders on that list, there's several that overlap between these two. But New York City, it was the top three, Newark, JFK. I think LaGuardia was actually number one. So it's fascinating to see that. But hey, if you're in that area and you're going through the New York City airports, there's several things that you can do to make your travel experience a little more seamless. First flight of the day. I hate waking up early. I am not a morning person, but those are the flights that get out the quickest. So first flight of the day, don't check a bag if you can. It's Labor Day weekend, four days. You guys can do it. Fit it in that carry-on. You don't want to risk losing your bag. Download the airlines app because that's the first way they're going to communicate a delay or a cancellation. It's going to hit the app before it's going to hit your text notifications or anything like that. So make sure you have that downloaded and hopefully use a travel advisor. 
Absolutely. That's what we're all about here is advising people to use those advisors. So as we position past Labor Day weekend, when it should be interesting as far as the numbers, I don't think it'll be higher uh, air traffic uh, passengers than what we saw July 4th. Could could be between you know Memorial Day numbers and, and it's close to that. But uh, I think there was one company I talked about a couple of weeks ago that they were predicting that there, there will be more uh, air traveler numbers than, than July 4th. And I just don't see it happening. I think a lot of people hit the road and they do a lot of uh, car drives and everything. Do you have actually, what, what are your Labor Day plans? Okay, so Labor Day is this uh, this upcoming weekend. I will be here. So I have my best friend from college and my boyfriend are flying down to we're at Hyatt Ziva Los Cabos currently, Eric and I, and they are going to come and we're going to spend the weekend there. We are flying back on Sunday. So I'm hoping that we might miss the worst of it for the people who are flying back on Monday. And then we'll have the day off on Monday to just kind of recuperate from our entire trip. So those are my plans. How about you, Eric? Well, college football is back, so I will be sitting at home. I fly back from from this event on Thursday, so I will be lounging around and watching my two-year-old run around and trying to watch football while also watching the two-year-old. So it should be a very relaxing weekend, as, as relaxing as it can be with a two-year-old for my fellow uh, parents out there. So um, let me know your Labor Day travel plans. Podcast at TravelPulse.com is the email you can reach out. So we're going to segue over to destination news. Online searches for fall travel are up 40% according to data from Expedia. But talking to a few advisors here, they say that, you know, that the inflation stuff that they would usually get some June calls for bookings in the fall travel season. And that's kind of down, which is not a surprise given the inflation numbers out there. But it's still, you know, it's nice to see that the online stuff and um, the, the interest is there. So I, I do think travel was going to slow down a little bit, but I, I think it'll still be there and potentially could exceed some expect- expectations for fall. So it's definitely great for the industry as a whole. In other great destination news, Japan lifted its COVID testing requirements for vaccinated travelers. The prime minister did say that the country would keep its daily caps on arrivals in place. Local reports claim that the island nation will eventually raise the daily cap of inbound travelers from 20,000 to 50,000, but no timetable was revealed. Japan initially opened up in June, so fingers crossed that Asia tourism there in Japan can can get going a little bit better. And what we're seeing some success over in Thailand is they uh, opened up sooner than others. And in an effort to boost their tourism industry, they actually extended their international travel visa exemption period from 30 days to 45 days between October and March of 2023. And they also revealed that the visa on arrival would uh, extend from a maximum of 15 days to 30 days starting on October 1st. So people can work from anywhere these days. So why not stay in Thailand for a month? And uh, Asia's tourism scene definitely needs all the help it can get right now. I am so excited about this reopening. So Japan is one of my favorite countries to visit. And I know that every destination has handled their reopening differently. I am super excited about this one. And I think it's it marks a a turning point for us. It really kind of shifts the responsibility over to the traveler now. There might not be these requirements, but hey, if you're sick, maybe take a test. I know you don't want to miss your vacation, but it it just really does move over to the traveler. And um, interesting to hear about the daily caps on arrivals being lifted and increased as well. But great news all around. Absolutely. So really, fingers crossed that we'll have some answers on a timetable for Japan, because I know a lot of people are really intrigued about that. And to be able to go just be on a tour, because you can go and do a tour right now, but a lot of people like to do their own thing and relax in different ways. And a tour isn't necessarily enticing to them. So I get it, but we just have to wait it out. And that's what it is with most of Asia right now. It's unfortunate, but we'll we'll get there. it'll, It'll improve for sure. So Closing out, though, what is trending in travel in the last week, ASTA, the American Society of Travel Advisors, they had their global convention last week, and they announced a new credo 
uh, as part of that and, and part of their four parts of uh, their credo and their new website and everything, one jumped out to me and that was Asta's pretty much endorsing fees now. Um, they said that they're in support of it. It wasn't an actual full endorsement, but I mean, it, it, it sounded like a full endorsement to me. So they saying, uh, they said, quote, Asta travel advisors often charge clients professional fees to reflect the value of the unique services they provide to their clients. We support this as a best practice. So the Asta Association, they now have more than 17,000 members and they're approaching their goal of 20,000 members by 2025. So Emma, charging fees, that is a bit of a hot button issue in the advisor community as some are for it, others are against it, but the pandemic has given rise to more advisors charging fees out there. So do you think this is a necessary industry shift perhaps? Or what do you think? Okay, so this gets me very riled up. I'm a huge fan of fees and I think if anybody is going to endorse fees as a best practice, it should be ASTA. They are the National Association of Travel Advisors. Like they should be making a stand on that. So I think it's great news. And speaking of a hot button issue, we're here at the Future Leaders in Travel Retreat. This morning, we did a panel on diversifying revenue streams. And I posed the question to the audience, how many of you charge fees? About half raised their hands. How many of you do not charge fees? Half raised their hands. I was completely surprised. And people who don't have charging fee sorry people who don't charge fees they often have a reason why they don't do that maybe they hadn't considered it maybe they're worried about pushback from their clients maybe they don't feel like they have enough clients and they don't want to turn away any prospective leads but i just don't see why you would leave money on the table i i haven't heard of a lot of pushback from clients even if you go from not charging fees to charging fees you just explain that hey, my time is valuable and I'm providing a service. I'm working during those hours. If it's a flat fee of $150, they're getting so much value for that. So I am all about fees and I'm I'm interested to kind of talk to more people at this event and hear the other side of things, but it is a super hot issue right now. Absolutely. People are very passionate about this topic in the advisor community. I've gotten some emails on different stories that we've done and of like, you need to advocate for this or more. You need to talk about this more, things like that. So it's certainly interesting to see where people stand on on which side of the fence if you will so i do have to uh, shout out to jen lee a listener of the podcast and uh, in the um, set in the group that this this morning she mentioned um, you could do modification fees or cancellation fees as a way to start so for the advisors listening now who do not charge fees at all but maybe been thinking about it that's one way you could sort of start off with it if you're worried about losing your regular clients because you are charging a fee so i think that's where a lot of the debate is of should I make that jump and am I going to lose people and everything so listeners out there let me know your thoughts podcast at travelpulse.com I have one more thing to say about fees before we move on so another thing I think fee structures can be very overwhelming to travel advisors when we start introducing cancellation and modification fees if they're not already charging a planning fee that might just seem like a crazy amount to kind of think about and structure in your mind so Everybody's different in the way that they structure fees. If you're just starting out and thinking about fees, maybe start with a consultation fee, a planning fee. As you get into it, you can kind of tier your fees catered toward the different types of trips that you're offering and the complexity of them. So I know some travel agencies will do a flat fee of maybe $100 per person for an all-inclusive because it's just, you're going to one place, you're probably not going to leave the resort that much, you have to deal with the transfers in the hotel, but it's not as tough of a job for a travel advisor to book as maybe a multi-country, really far afield trip that has a lot of different components. You're working with DMCs and tour operators. So it does depend on the complexity of the trips that you're booking and take that into account. But there are ways to switch up your fee structure that will make the most sense for you. And 
Also, I would love to hear your fee stories. So email Eric and I want him to pass them on to me so I can know too. Well said, Emma. Yes, and I absolutely will will share those if we get any on that. And to the consumer listeners out there and the supplier listeners too, I'd love to hear your thoughts on fees. If you're a consumer, do you pay your travel advisor any fees out there? And, and suppliers, where do you stand on this issue as well? So that wraps up what has been trending in travel. Any additional thoughts, you guys can drop me an email. I've said it a few times here, but why not one more time? Podcast at travelpulse.com. Now we're going to jump over to the theme of this week, which is around millennials and Gen Z and their place in the travel industry, because we are here in Cabo, as we said, at Hyatt Ziva for the Future Leaders in Travel Retreat. So Emma, you are a sort of a, um, I don't know, co-founder, if that's the right word of it, but it, yeah, well, well she's, she's nodding, so we'll, we'll go with that. Um, so I love that. So Emma, tell us a little bit more about this event, its origins, its purpose, and its role in the industry. Okay. And I do have to give credit to my colleague, Mindy Potter, who's the executive editor of Travel Age West, because she for years before this event was created, wanted to see a conference specifically for people who are early in their careers. So we've invited travel advisors, about 50 of them, to Los Cabos. And we've been we've been in Cancun last year. We were previously in Aspen when we started the event in 2018. Um, but these advisors are generally between the ages of 22 and 37. They are fully hosted here. And then we have supplier sponsors as well. And this year we have about 30 suppliers with us. So it's a pretty intimate group of about 80 people. We generally like to keep it under 100. And we really created this event so that people can interact with their peers in a very non-intimidating way. I think when people join the travel industry and they're doing the conference circuit, it can be kind of scary for people who maybe haven't been in the business that long or they're just starting out and they're they're pretty green you know it's who's going to walk up to those industry veterans and ask those questions here you have a platform to do so so we're really encouraging our attendees to learn from each other we have panels networking workshops jen lee is here like you said eric and the suppliers represent every single facet of travel from cruise to hotels to tours you name it and we can also is it okay if i share the the website for future leaders okay great so so we're going to open applications for 2023 shortly you can go to futureleadersintravel.com to learn more about the event playa is our gracious host this year at high Eva los cabos and i hope to hear from you and maybe see you next year Absolutely. Yeah, I love the premise of this too. And just the the need for the industry of this because there are and you guys tout it too, you know, prior to is a this is where our uh, future CEOs lie and there are future presidents here, future vice presidents definitely uh, amongst this crowd right now. So it'll be interesting to see too. you guys started this in 2018. So let's look in 2028 at some of the past attendees and look at where they are in their position and, and what they're doing now. That'll be a fun little look back um, when we get there in a, in, a, in a few. So it'll, it'll be here before we know it. You know, that's time flies these days but um it's with you know the topic being around millennials and, and gen z most of the people here are millennials although i guess a 22 year old you're, you're you're considered yeah you're you're gen z now shout out to my niece she likes to say she's sometimes a millennial and then sometimes she likes to say she's a, she's a gen z she's 23 so well yeah <laughs> but on that they've, they've been kind of leading the way though in, in the industry recovery right now i was at virtuoso travel week a couple weeks ago and their 18 to 34 age group said that they averaged 2.2 more international trips in the past year than the 65 and up age group and um so not too surprising given everything that was going on but 
you know, that's where we stand right now with millennials and Gen Z. The the younger, richer travelers are getting out there more. But I think it's safe to say that even the younger budget travelers, like myself, because I am not a rich person, <laughs> the younger budget travelers out there, they're on the go more too. You know, of course, it's a different approach and likely more of the microcation weekend getaway type of trips, which, you know, your, your friends are doing this weekend. They're coming to meet you in Los Cabos, which I love. So, um, millennials and Gen Z, they're becoming quite the attractive or uh, the attractive. <laughs> they're becoming quite the active traveling generation so prioritizing travel over purchases like cars houses etc so emma your thoughts on where millennials and gen z stand in the industry on the consumer side of these days okay well i want to talk about the microcation for a second because it's an interesting point and allianz just did a study about microcations and they define it as a trip that is at least 100 miles away but it lasts four days or fewer and i think especially right out of college, I was the queen of the microcations, those long weekends where you can just kind of jet set and go visit a friend and go to a big city, hang out and then come back. But young people are leading this trend. They're about 44% of the travelers who say that their next vacation is going to fall into this category. In my opinion, it's because First of all, they have the stamina to take a red eye on a Friday night and then come home bright and early on Monday morning and still go into the office. I'm a little too old for that now. They can stay with their friends. They might not have the means necessarily yet to go further to an exotic destination or somewhere farther from home. It's really the way that I've traveled for years all the way up until this point. I love microcations. Why not just take advantage of those long weekends that you have and and go explore somewhere new? I wholeheartedly agree. I love them as well. And it doesn't even have to be associated with a holiday weekend coming up too, like Labor Day. That's obviously going to be very popular. You're going to have your weekend jaunts, like you said. But, you know, a random October, you know, 10th weekend. Why not? Let's let's go to the mountain somewhere or, you know, your uh, extend your spring break um, or separate out your spring break. Do two trips and two microcations over the different weekends or there are various ways to, to tap into that. And I think that is a trend that's going to stick around even post pandemic, obviously, it's on the rise because of, you know, budget wise, and and how people are spending their money and the prices of things. But I think that's going to hang around for a while, and be very, very enticing, uh, even beyond millennials, too. I I know uh, boomers out there and multi gen travel too. they, they're not going just a full week. But you know, for millennials and Gen Z, especially, it's really going to be something that they're going to stick to and, and stick to heart on that. So on the flip side, though, millennials and Gen Z working in the industry, there are several, as you mentioned, almost 80 travel professionals here. So with all the staffing issues in the travel industry right now, though, uh, now's a great time to start a career in travel if you're young, um, whether you opt for the supplier route or the advisor route. I think there are definitely some great perks of working in the industry. It's definitely a grind. It's not all you know rainbows and sunshine. And yeah, I'm looking at the beach right now. It looks awesome, but I'm, I don't think we'll even get out to the beach at all because we are here working and networking and, and everything. But we'll have a little excursion thing. That is part of the Future Leaders in Travel event. There is a fun excursion thing on Wednesday, but we'll be on a little catamaran. And But yeah, there's no you know eight hours a day lounging at the beach and swimming up to the pool bar and things like that at that. So the, that's the... Um, the working side of things. But I think we're seeing an influx of new advisors to the industry now. And, and perhaps the supplier side uh, could maybe do a little more to market some of the travel jobs to the younger generations. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Well, I think both the travel advisors and the travel suppliers are kind of working through the best way to market themselves as a viable career choice. I am still running into people my age and I fall into the millennial generation who A, don't think travel advisors exist anymore, or B, they think they can't afford to use one, or C, they just don't understand how they work. So there's a little bit of like an optics issue there that I think they're still kind of trying to work through. 
on the supplier side, it's interesting. I, I, I had a discussion with a friend of mine the other day about this very topic and just kind of like, you, you know, I work in the travel industry. What do you think that means? Would you ever be interested in a career? And she said to me that the things that I'm posting about, you know, on Travel Age West or my podcast, she's either seeing it as something that's a little bit unattainable for her because it's a high-end experience and maybe she doesn't have the money to do that yet, or she's seeing a cruise and maybe she's under the impression that younger people don't cruise, which we know is is wrong, but it's also, it's a perception. So I think when it comes to marketing careers in the travel industry, both advisors and suppliers really need to meet younger people where they're at. It's not going to be on Facebook. It's not. It's maybe at college job fairs if you want to catch them right out of college. It's probably going to be on LinkedIn. It might be on Instagram and TikTok. But if you do get people through LinkedIn, let's say I see an application to work at a cruise line, the first thing I'm going to do is check out their website. And I'm going to see if maybe I would enjoy their product. So I want to see people who are in my age group. I want to see if the website is up to date, if it looks like it's using, I don't know, the best user experience, if it's easy for me. And I want to think like, huh, am I am I the clientele for this company? I'm so much more likely to apply for a job if I feel that way. Another thing, and this is probably advisors and suppliers, I think both, but maybe mainly suppliers, evaluate your company's ethos. Young people want to work for companies that care. They want to make sure that they are environmentally friendly, especially in the travel industry that's huge with sustainability. They care about their employees. The benefits are good. They cater to a wide range of clients and they're inclusive and they're generally just not out of touch. So I think suppliers who want to attract more younger people into their careers, like take a look at yourselves and and see it from their eyes and what they're what they're seeing. That's my two cents. I don't know if you agree with any of that, but but I, the discussion with my friend really kind of sparked that, and especially with social media, and I know we're going to get into that a little bit more. TikTok has been an interesting one. I think we're all trying to figure that out. Gen Z has got it. Millennials, I like to lurk on TikTok. I'm not really much of a poster. But I do know that several suppliers are marketing themselves through TikTok, ALG Vacations being one of them. They just started a new TikTok and advisors and suppliers who are consistent with posting I think that's really the key that's going to get in front of fresh eyes and maybe Instagram ads for careers I know you everyone's looking at the stories on Instagram and then there's an ad come up if it looks really enticing maybe they'll click on it and learn more about your your company or if you have a really great representative at your company and I'm thinking of Captain Kate McHugh from Celebrity Cruises who is now TikTok famous have her showcase what it is a day in the life of working on a cruise ship and have her talk about it and and get people invested who maybe never thought that they would work for a cruise line and they didn't know the benefits there. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think the very well point said on that and we'll just dive right into the social media stuff, picking up where you left off. But actually real quickly though, I do want to backtrack. You did mention the college fair stuff. I would even say suppliers look into the high school stuff. You, you, you can get 18 year olds to come work for you right away. Not everyone wants to jump right into the college scene or maybe you just tout up some of the local programs of you know the uh, tourism um, majors out there, tourism, travel industry. Because uh, that was my brother-in-law said that he was going to study tourism as his major in college one day. And I was like, Oh, this was before I worked in the travel industry. And I just thought like, wow, I wish that had been like, that should have been advertised more. Like that should be known more. Like every college, major college in the country should have that and talk about it. Or it should just be more awareness around that. And 
But jumping back to the social media stuff, you know, millennials, they really sort of launched this whole influencer life with Instagram and YouTube and, you know, rest in peace Vine out there. But Gen Z is really taking it to the next level with TikTok. And I think you're seeing more brands associating with that. And I know myself, like I also lurk on there. And I think that's maybe the older millennial side of us, whereas maybe the younger, I don't want to call myself a geriatric millennial out there. I know it's a phrase. It's a popular one out there. I don't, I don't know if I'm quite in that, but my bones might say otherwise. But yeah, I think with, with Gen Z really taking it to the next level, like they're really, really big on TikTok. And there was like a big wave, you know, when TikTok first launched that like they would sort of poke fun at the millennials being on there. But in terms of a brand stuff, like you really have to, if you want to grow your brand awareness, which Virgin Voyager was talking about this morning in your panel and doing a great job on that, yeah, brand awareness is huge. And whether you're a supplier side or whether you're a travel advisor too, you can get on the TikTok, get on the Instagram, even have your own little YouTube, start doing YouTube shorts on that. And there's a great ways to just grow your own personal brand. And you know, you know that could lead to a few sales and maybe you work with a few influencers out there as well. Okay, Eric, I have a question for you. Have you ever heard of Be Real? No. Okay. So I'm going to tell you about Be Real because it is a new social media app and it's quickly catching on. It just like topped TikTok for the most downloaded app on the App Store, I think in July. So it's like catching, it's on fire right now. So Be Real is a new social media app. And I'm sure the Gen Zers are going to be listening. If they're listening to this, they're going to be like, okay, she is way behind. But I just joined it about a month ago. And so every day at a certain time, you're going to get a notification on your phone that's going to say, okay, Take a picture of whatever you're doing right now. So your front camera and your back camera are both on and you just snap a picture of whatever it is you're doing in that moment, whether you're still in bed or you're on a beach in Mexico or you're on a walk with your dog or you're sitting there staring at your computer, which most of my be reels are me working from home. But it's all about authenticity. So it's kind of going away from the curated, really pre-planned content and focusing on almost the anti-Instagram in a way. I am so curious to see how travel companies are going to use this because it does not lend itself well to marketing a business. But Tourism Fiji is one of the first tourism boards to partner with Be Real. And I just got a press release about it last week. And they're going to be using Be Real with their locals and have the locals take the pictures whenever the notification comes in. And I'm going to learn more about that campaign. I don't want to say anything inaccurate about it, but they are the first travel company that I've heard of that has partnered with Be Real. I think that's going to be interesting to watch how that develops, but Be Real, B-E-R-E-A-L, check it out. I'm intrigued by it. And how is it, you know, going to make an impact in the travel industry? I'm going to have to check more about the Fiji thing too. That that is enticing, and, and it's something that you know brands you you got to get in on it. You know, first you got to get your own uh, tag name before anyone else steals your own brand name, and then you have to go through legal issues or whatever you have to do on that side of things, or, or you have to pick a whole new brand name or, or add something on to to make it work. So you got to get on any anything new that pops up that's really popular. Definitely jump on whether you're supplier, advisor, all that good stuff. But yeah, that should be and in, in, I'm intrigued by it. So now I think they're up to 10 million users. So they really in, are in their infancy. So I, I, I'm curious to see who cracks the code with this in the travel industry and how they can best use it to market themselves. We'll see how Fiji does. But I mean, all of my be reels are super unflattering. Like it, it doesn't want you to be able to pre-plan something and curate it. 
that's the opposite of what be, be real wants you to, to post. So, and it's, you can follow people, they can do comments, they can react to it. So it's similar on Instagram to that, but yeah, it's in its infancy. So if you haven't grabbed a handle yet, might be a good time to do so. Like you said. Yeah, I'm gonna have to download that and, and get Eric Bowman on there before somebody else, the mini Eric Bowman, there's not that many out there. But, um, but sticking with, you know, the millennials and the Gen Z, uh, as far as the types of travel and the destinations, uh, do you think there's any specific ones that are ideal? I mean, I know that the group group uh, group trips with the friends are really big and it seems to be uh, big cities are really popular these days for, for youngins. Yeah, that sounds like a great <laughs> <laughs> The youngins out there in the olden days, here we go. So I think a lot of people in... 20s and 30s and that's my age range i had five weddings this year lots of bachelorette trips my boyfriend had a couple bachelor parties so these group trips these girls and guys getaways are really popular at least in my age group big cities are tend to be the hosts of that type of trip and you know it's all about trying all the hot brunch spots and the cool clubs and bars and everything like that I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon especially with the wedding season being so booked up right now um, I also think you know pop culture or social media inspired trips that's not new people want to go to pretty places and take pictures of that so that's not going to go away good scenery is always a win especially if you're active on social media taking advantage of the spring and summer breaks to maybe go to a place like Hyatt's Evo Los Cabos go to Mexico or the Caribbean and if you're a little bit more budget conscious maybe you do want an all-inclusive and that could be popular with with younger people and in group trips and then another thing that I've noticed within the last few years, I know the point sky has kind of become pretty big and loyalty programs and airline points are huge now. And if you crack the code with that, then you can travel on a budget and you can go to whatever your credit card's preferred partners are on a little bit of a, a, a cheaper budget. So that's another trend that I think has has legs. Definitely. Yeah, I need to do a full show on that because there's so much that you can dive into on the whole point side and, and uh, loyalty programs and some some people are, are are in like a bunch of them, and other people just stick with their one, and they're they're true to that term loyalness of of that. Whereas others just dive into and get as many you know freebies and as they can up front for the the um, incentives that a lot of those credit card companies toss out there. So another thing also kind of um, on the rise a little bit with millennials and Gen Z is the buy now pay later aspect of things, and I'm I'm intrigued by that too because you have some um, advisors out there who try to get into that. And I know there are different uh, companies that also have partnered too with Uplift. I think it's uh, yeah, Inside Vacation, Southwest Airlines, United Airlines, and Carnival Cruise Line are some of the travel companies that have partnered with Uplift and just using that whole buy now, pay later aspect of things. And I wonder how, how much that will really stick around You know, in the coming years. Is that something that they'll gravitate to and use over and over again as the millennial generation gets older? Only time will tell on that. And, and another aspect is the solo travel, I think, is really picking up. It's not as big as, you know, your your six, your 50 and 60 up and, you know, your retirees traveling on their own because they want to go somewhere and they have the money and they have the time. But you're seeming to see a little bit of a millennial and Gen Z generation just going for it, which I love to see. The pay-as-you-go thing makes me a little bit nervous. I know Intrepid Travel and Kentucky are also doing this, and Kentucky are all about attracting the age group that we're talking about. And I, I do think it's okay for, you know, bucket list trips, maybe like a once-in-a-lifetime thing where – 
you just really need to go at a certain time and maybe you don't have all the money saved and this is a really appealing plan for you but it does make me a little bit nervous because i think it's kind of a slippery slope if you start doing the pay now or pay as you go or what is it called eric buy now pay later, buy now, pay later. It, it, you don't want to get behind in that you know what I mean and, and just all of a sudden you're in debt and it's a little bit over your head so I would say like use with caution maybe oh 100% on that I'm intrigued by it and I'm just curious how how long of its legs will 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 have in the industry in terms of that and especially with the businesses partnering on that but you know it's it's a way for them to get more people who may not have you know jumped on to those brands so I get it but yeah, be cautious with it for sure on that. But our advice is always use a travel advisor. They're going to guide you in that. And if you have to do some sort of payment plans on things like that, I know that advisors out there can help. So we are running a little bit low on time here. So just lastly, any closing thoughts on millennials and Gen Z and their place in the industry? Any advice for our travel advisor listeners uh, to tap into the millennial and Gen Z market? Travel advisors and suppliers do not write off these two generations. They are hungry for travel. They will have money at some point, so it's best to get them as clients young, and then you'll have them as clients for life. Just to recap, meet them where they're at. They might not be on Facebook, so you might have to you know, go lurking on TikTok or make a Be Real or, or something like that. I know it's scary, but you can do it. And even shorter trips like microcations are a potential business opportunity. If you're booking with families with Gen Z kids, encourage the kids to become part of the planning process. I think that will be very beneficial in the long term. But I, we could talk about this all day. I know we're running out of time. Eric, great discussion though. Yes, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you have a lot of planning things. You already did one panel. I know you got more coming up. So a lot going on here at the Future Leaders and Travel Retreat. So yeah, 10 years ago, millennials were definitely on Facebook all the time, but they've sort of segued onto other uh, social media platforms. So meet them where they're at, as Emma said, out there. And I totally agree on that. So and let's, let's plug the uh, website one more time. Where can people learn a little bit more about Future Leaders and Travel? You can go to futureleadersandtravel.com if you want to learn more about Travel Age West at Travel Age West on Instagram or travelagewest.com. I can't remember the handle for the Future Leaders off the top of my head, but I think it's the Travel Retreat Without Vowels. <laughs> Eric's checking. He's fact checking me right now. So we can get that for you. If you want to connect with me for just story ideas, you have thoughts about millennials, Generation Z, anything, you can email me at eweissman. There's two S's and two N's in Weissman at travelagewest.com. And I am on the gram at Emma underscore in route, E-N-R-O-U-T-E. So we got this pulled up. The travel retreat at the T-R-V-L retreat. Thanks again, Emma. I really appreciate it. And I'm at Eric Bowman underscore on the social channels. You can follow me there. That wraps up this week on the podcast. Again, thank you guys for listening. Have a great week. 